can't hardly sing that song when I get to that last verse. 20, my goodness, maybe longer now, almost 30 years ago. Not quite. 28 years ago. I heard Dr. Curtis Hudson. Many of you may not know the name. Dr. Hudson took over the Sword of the Lord ministry after Dr. Rice, Dr. John R. Rice passed away. Some of you may know the name Tony Hudson. Tony is great big guy preacher. Uh, Tony is Curtis's son. Curtis Hudson was an amazing preacher. I would say probably one of the one of the one of the most phenomenal preachers of the gospel I've ever heard was Curtis Hudson. And uh, Dr. Hudson was dying of cancer. And I don't mean he just found that he was sick. I mean, he had a few weeks to live. I mean, he looked like he was already dead. When I was a young college student, we had a day we called Curtis Hudson Day, and we brought him into the college and had him preach just weeks before he went to heaven. Every time I hear that song, I envision Dr. Hudson standing up that morning and broke into song. No music, just began to sing. And as he sang that song, it became real to me for the first time because I knew that within a few days, he would be gone. Christian, I hope that the gospel, I hope that this book, I hope the songs that we sing, I hope they're real to you. And I tell you that God loves you. The greatest message in all the world, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He was buried and rose again to make salvation possible. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter number 6, verses 6 through 9. I want to talk to you this morning about some lessons from the ants. I'm not talking about your auntie who's married to your uncle. <laughs> I'm talking about the little critters that ruin your picnic. I talk about the little guys when I was a boy. For a while we lived in, we lived in Florida. And one time I sat down on a fire ant hill when we lived in Ruskin, Florida. How many of you know what fire ants are, Ms. Lois? You know what they are. I sat down on a fire ant hill when I was four years old. Those fire ants, they, they have a plan. We're going to talk about their plan in a moment, but they worked together very well. They invaded my space, Miss Lois. They got inside my pants. They got inside my... But they didn't, they didn't bite me yet. They all got in place, and all of a sudden, Brother Mike, the, the, the call was given. They all at one point, okay, ready? One, two, fire! And they all began to bite me at the same time. I can still remember my mom coming out as I was screaming and taking my clothes off and beating me half to death trying to kill all those ants. I'm going to talk to you about lessons from the ants. Look, if you will, here at Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 9. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. Verse 9, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? 
when will thou rise out of thy sleep? Would you skip over to Proverbs 30, not too far away in, in the scripture? Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 25, as we look at one more verse, as we begin these lessons from the ants this morning, Proverbs 30, verse 25, the ants are a people. Hold on. Uh, I thought they were insects. No, God says they're people. Uh, I'm not talking about Ant-Man. I know some of you, you know, you, I'm, not, I'm not preaching about Ant-Man here. The ants are a people, not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Let's pray together. Lord, I believe you have some great truth for us in Scripture. Lord, how wonderful it is that we can mine the depths of truth coming up again and again with the gold of blessing. And Lord, I thank you that even in your creation, Lord, not an accident, not a haphazard event, but Lord, your very purposeful creation, you, the grand architect of all things, Lord, even in creation have given us so many lessons. Lord, you tell us that as we look at creation, that we can know there's a God. Lord, this morning we look at one little aspect of your creation. And Lord, would you help us to receive the teaching and the truths that we can learn from them today. Lord, would you help me today? I need your help. Lord, to preach and teach and write your truth. God bless us today. We need you. We desire your presence. We need you to work in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever heard the phrase or the word myrmacology? Nope, nobody? You don't know what a myrmacologist is. You're lying. <laughs> Can you take care of her, please? That, that's not someone who studies murmuring. Uh, that's... <laughs> Teenagers are, are phenomenal murmurers. How many of you know that? And I, especially as I get harder and harder and harder of hearing, I, I am convinced uh, whenever the Bible speaks about the murmuring of the children of Israel, uh, it was the teenagers that were murmuring. But uh, a myrmecologist is not someone who studies murmuring. A myrmecologist, by the way, doesn't study mermaids. I know that's what you thought, Brother Ahmad. But a myrmecologist is one who studies ants. How many of you, when you were a boy or a girl growing up, thought, man, I can't wait. One day when I grow up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a myrmecologist. <laughs> now, how many of you, though, how many of you had an ant farm when you were a kid? Am I the only weirdo that had an ant farm? I had an ant farm. How many of you have ever seen an ant farm? Praise the Lord. At least you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you didn't delve into my weirdness, but you know what I'm talking about. I had an ant farm, but I was not a scientist. I did watch the ants as a kid. I watched them die. Uh, but there are over, science tells us, over 10,000 different species of ants. That's a lot of ants. They, an ant has the ability, the strength to lift 10 or 20 times their own body weight, which means, Brother Jerese, if I had the, the strength of an ant, I could lift 4,600 pounds. 
You do the math, you'll find out how much Pastor Rice weighs there. But I, I, I could lift that much weight. Uh, they've been found to build structures that are 500 times their own height. That, that's, that's a big structure. Uh, now, their, their brain cells, their brain has about 250,000 cells. Uh, ours, scientists tell us, have 10 million or 10,000 million. Uh, so their brains are not very big. But can I tell you that they are very wise? Why? Because God gave them the wisdom. And God said, I want you to go and I want you to learn from the ants. I want us this morning to take just a few moments and look at some very simple things. Uh, some lessons I believe we can learn that will help us this morning. By the way, another unique thing about ants, how many of you knew that ants have two stomachs? Anybody know that? I know cows have several stomachs. Ants use their stomachs differently than cows. Cows ruminate. They eat, then they bring it back up, they eat again. Isn't that disgusting? Uh, but, but think about this. Maybe you have a really good meal. Man, I wish I could taste that again. Oh, that's really good. Uh, some of you are getting sick right now. I know that. But the ants, you think that's gross. You know why the ants have two stomachs? Because if they come up to their buddy ant, like, hey, you hungry? Have you eaten today? The buddy says, no. Oh, hold on a second. There you go. That's for you. That's, a, that's the truth. Uh, they're sharing and caring uh, people or ants. But their life expectancy, by the way, is about 45 to 60 days. Now, that's important for us to think about because we need to understand the plans that we see them incorporating in God's creation is not because they're going to live year after year after year. They have a very short time span. So a lot of the preparations they make is not for them. You know, we're concerned about us. We're concerned about preparations for us. These ants that have such a short lifespan, they're busy preparing. Hold on, they're going to be dead in 60 days. But their offspring won't. And their offspring's offspring won't. Just a couple of thoughts I want to give you this morning. Number one, as we think about the lessons from the ants. Ants teach us a lesson about performance. About performance. To perform with efficiency, there must be a plan. Letter A, to perform with proficiency, there must be a plan. You know, if you look at an anthill, how many have ever seen an anthill? We have some pretty big anthills here in Alberta. I've seen uh, much bigger anthills here than we have where I'm from uh, in, the, in the southern U.S. We have anthills, but, man, I've seen some massive anthills here. And at first glance, you look at an anthill and you're like, just this chaos. You get close they can feel the vibrations, especially when you're as big as Pastor Rice. And you see, they're just these ants, and it's like the ground's moving, and it just looks like chaos. But understand, there is a plan. And as we look at the ant this morning, as we think about God's example in creation, you know, they have not just running around everywhere, but every ant... And a part of that anthill has a purpose, has a job, has a plan to be part of the whole. You know, as Christians, we need to realize that God has a plan 
By the way, where do we find his plan? In the word of God. We don't find it in feeling. We don't find it in experience or emotion. We find his plan in the word of God. And if we are to follow in the example God gives us, we have to follow God's plan uh, as we perform not for our salvation, but as we perform according to God's will for our life. Letter B, to perform with efficiency, there must be participation. You know, if in the anthill, the, uh, the leader ant, ant-man maybe, I don't know, says, hey, okay, here's the plan. And all the ants go, that's a great plan, I like that plan. I'm going to sit down here and uh, you go ahead and fulfill that plan. Nothing's going to happen. There has to be that participation. And by the way, you see that I remember as a, as a boy when I had my ant farm, watching the ants as they all were busy uh, doing different things, but all participating in the work of their colony and their work, doing the work that was their job to do. You know, if we, if you worked for your business that you work for, and your boss said, okay, here's our plan for the year, uh, and you said, that's great, I'm not going to be a part of it, but I think that's a great plan. It wouldn't take very many employees to have that attitude, and the business would go bankrupt. It would fail. Because there must be participation for the plan to work. As we look at the ant, I know there are bigger ants and littler ants, but as we look at the ant, we see in creation that God planned for them even as little and minuscule and useless as we would think they are, God has a plan for them. But that plan is only enjoyed by their participation in that plan. Ecclesiastes 9 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Colossians 3, 17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you that we're supposed to do it unto the Lord. Everything heartily as unto the Lord. Now, to perform with efficiency, letter C, there must be peace. How many of you have two or more children? How many of you have ever witnessed those, the two or more children, ever witnessed your children fighting? Not getting, I can't believe that. I thought you all had good children. How many of you know that when your children are fighting and bickering, they're not going to be very effective in doing something you've told them to do? I remember when I was a boy, my sister and I, one of our biggest fights, recurring fight, we travel in a vehicle. Those of you with brothers and sisters, you might remember this. And my sister would take her finger and put it on my side. <laughs> or actually, I would probably do that to her. Hands on my side! So stupid, isn't it? It's ridiculous. And yet sometimes, as adults, we have the same ridiculousness in our pride and our ideas of what we should do. And sometimes there's no peace. And when there's no peace, there's no proficiency. There's no efficiency. 
You know, if you go and you poke around an ant hill, everybody scatters. But eventually peace comes and they go back to doing what they're supposed to do. We need to have the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace that passeth understanding, as we serve together, as we're involved together, as we can have his peace. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I said that ants teach us a lesson about performance, but I want us to go on this morning. Number two, ants teach us a lesson about partnership. About partnership. We, we learn some things from the ants. I want to read a quote to you. Now, let me preface this, and when I tell you, you're going to go, Pastor, why are you reading this quote? I want to read a quote to you from an evolutionist. Now, let me time out here. Pastor Rice is not an evolutionist. Uh, but I want to read you a quote from an evolutionist, and, and I want you to see what even an evolutionist in his false understanding of creation has observed and wrote about. In their own, each ant's behavior is relatively useless. But when swarms of ants come together, the patterns optimize naturally and allow them to accomplish tasks that should be far beyond their reach. To the outside observer, their self-organizing efforts seem to be directed by some larger force or collective intelligence. I'm sorry, Mr. Evolutionist, the word you were looking for is God. Amen. There is a society that is truly more than the sum of its parts. Even the evolutionist looked at the ants. He went to look at them the way God said in the Bible, hey, go to the ants. And he said his come away from it was, it's almost like there's something bigger than they are. Almost like there's some kind of power beyond them. Because when they come together, they can do so much more. Our theme this year as a church is to be striving together. When we come together for the direction and the power of the faith of the gospel, that which is greater than we are, he who is all-powerful, who directs us and leads us, we can do and be involved in that which is much greater and much more important and much hard to understand that we can do. That larger force that that famous atheist and evolutionist pointed out is God. He created those little ants and they fulfill his purpose. Christian, he made you. He loved you. If you're born again here this morning, he redeemed you. He has a purpose for you. That partnership, letter A, there is a solidarity. There is a solidarity. The ant colony is a community. That anthill is a community. They build those colonies sometimes to the depth of 35 feet below the ground. Amazing size. 
It's like a city for ants. As I mentioned, I had an ant farm. It was a, a little clear plastic terrarium-looking thing stacked with sand. And uh, because it was called an ant farm, there was a little plastic barn and a little plastic windmill. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I had one of those when I was a boy. And, and you put the ants in, and, and they would tunnel. And, and they, one of the first things they started to do is they created a burial ground uh, because, you know, in transit, ants don't travel well. Uh, they had their first, their first death happen not long after my ant farm started. And they dug a tunnel and they had this little cavity and they carried the dead ant down there. They buried them. I thought, as a kid, I'm like, that's really cool. And I'm saying, man, they're going to, Bob died. I bet they eat Bob. But no, they didn't eat Bob. They took Bob down and put him down and buried him. Uh, I saw them there, Brother Maude, as they sang hymns and read the Bible. And, no, they didn't do that. But they carried him down. They, there was solidarity. There was community. You know, you very rarely see an ant by itself. They're not, they're not individual creatures. They are in partnership. No wonder that God tells us, go to the ant. Follow the pattern I've given them. Learn the simple lessons that even the little ant can understand. Their solidarity, their sharing. As I mentioned, they, they have two stomachs, so if they run into one of their buddies who hasn't eaten, they can literally, there you go. I know that's disgusting, but we see in that a pattern. By the way, as believers, we're co-laborers with the Lord Jesus Christ. I shared an illustration similar to this once before, but I want to share a thought is about a cow and a pig who were having a conversation. They were living together on a farm. The cow was the most popular animal on the farm, in the farmyard. And it puzzled the pig. The pig couldn't understand that. The pig said, People speak of you warmly. I mean, they call you Bessie. They've given you a name. They talk to you. They're nice to you. They, they, they like your gentle nature and your sorrowful eyes. And they've got a close relationship with you. And they think you're generous because every day you allow them to come and milk you and, and, and they take the milk and the cream. And the pig says, but I don't understand that. What about me? You know, they don't talk to me. They, they don't, they're not fond of me. Uh, they, they don't interact with me on a daily basis. But I'm going to give them everything I have. All you do is give them milk every day. I'm going to give them everything. I'll give them bacon. I mean, bacon, that's amazing. Uh, I'll give them ham. I'll provide bristles for brushes. They'll, they'll even pickle my feet. They'll eat my brains. They'll, I mean, they'll eat everything. Why is it that the farmer seems to appreciate you more than me? Bessie the cow thought for a moment. She looked down at the pig and said thoughtfully, perhaps it's because I give while I'm still living. I'm afraid so many of us, we don't want to give while we're still living. 
ultimately we look at it as the pig, we're willing to give our life. But will we give while we're still living? Let us see quickly as we think about the partnership, their support. You know, as you look at the picture I have framed on the screen this morning, you see the ants carrying leaves. But I've seen many pictures of ants bridging gaps because they support one another as they build a bridge and the other ants walk across them and they support one another. We see that. How about us? Christian, how about, how about you? How about me? Do we support our brothers and sisters in Christ? Who are we supporting? Is it just us? Is it just us? Number three, another lesson quickly from the ants. They teach us a lesson about preparedness. And I believe this, this is one of the main teachings that I believe we see in Proverbs. They teach us a lesson about preparedness. I don't believe ants know the meaning of the word procrastination. They don't wait till the weather turns cold before they're preparing. They, they gather their food while it's still warm. They, they bring it into the colony, into the, uh, the hill. Now remember I said they live maybe 60 days? Now that means that many of the ants that are going out and gathering, a few days after they gather will die. They won't eat that food. They won't prepare it. My grandmother used to can peaches. And she canned blackberries. I love my grandmother's canned peaches. I don't have very much money, but I would give just about every penny I have if I could buy a jar of my grandma's peaches right now. But I remember after my grandmother died, I remember I had a few jars of my grandma's peaches left. And I held on to those like they were giant chunks of gold. I remember the last jar. I remember opening that last jar. And I remember I wept because I thought to myself, this is the last peach I'll ever have that my grandma canned. Every ant, every ant enjoys food that they did not prepare. Why does God have them prepare? Because God knows there are others coming after them that need to have preparations made for. We see there, they teach us a lesson about preparedness. They make certain their families are taken care of. He says in verse 7, the text we started with, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in harvest, and gathereth... Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 25, the answer of people not strong, and yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Letter A this morning, they prepare for their family. They prepare for their family. The Bible says a man that does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. Worse than an infidel. 
Can I tell you even an ant has enough character, has enough knowledge in those 200 and some thousand brain cells to realize that its job is to provide for its family. But we need a revival of that in our culture today. You look at all the, the brokenness and perverseness of our society, and I promise you if you track it back and look, you'll find a lot of that stems from a broken family where a family, a mom or a dad, didn't provide for the needs of their children. There's a fella, I can't, Mark Laid, I think is his name. He's doing a video project, and some of you, I'm sure, have at least seen it across social media called Soft White Underbelly. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I've seen several interviews that he's done with different people. One question he always asks, every interview I've ever seen him do, he always asks the question, what kind of family relationship did you have? What kind of home relationship? What kind of home life? Almost, not every, but I, I would venture to say 95% of every person in some horrible situation, some broken situation, when he asked the question, how was your home life? It was bad. My dad, my dad wasn't there for me. My mom didn't care for me. Christian, it's really sad that even born-again believers have to go out and look at an ant and figure out we need to take care of our families. But we better do it. We better realize the importance of rearing your families for the Lord. But we see they took care, they take care of their families. Letter B, they prepare for their future. They prepare for their future. I wish we'd learned the lesson from these tiny creatures. They look to the future each day. You know what we do? We look to today each day. Today we were leaving the house. Our van was out front and almost parked in our garage. And Josh had to work on a vehicle last night in the garage, so he moved our van around front. And as we were leaving, Carrie was the last one to come out. and My dog was confused because he always sees us leave the back door. And when we leave, Carrie gives him a treat. And she said he was just following her around like what are you doing where are you going where's the treat well Rebecca and Josh were the last ones to leave and Carrie had given them the treat and said here give this to Yeti when we leave he was confused you know why because all that mattered to him was where's my treat like what are you what are you doing like you're gonna leave me here without a treat what kind of dog abuse is this Sadly, a lot of times, that's the way we live our life. What can I have today? We need to prepare for the future. We need to find the wisdom in those little people. God calls them ants. As they prepare for the future. Can I ask you a question this morning of every person here? Are you prepared for eternity? This week, Mark Rader, a man five years younger than me, he was 43 years old, went off into eternity. He didn't plan on that. 
He probably thought he was going to live a long time. The fact is, not one of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Every one of you in this room, every person, one day that heart that beats in your breast is going to beat his last beat. I don't know when that is. And you don't either. By the way, the doctors don't know. But every one of us one day are going to face eternity. Are you prepared? So, Pastor, how can I be prepared for eternity? How, how can I be prepared for what I, the unknown? How, how can I be prepared for something that I've never experienced? The Bible is God's answer to that question. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can I be prepared for eternity? By receiving the free gift that is salvation through Jesus Christ. This morning, if you hear nothing else, Think about this thought. Am I ready for eternity? Am I ready for eternity? Am I ready to face God? Am I ready to stand before Him? You can be. By the way, you don't get ready by coming to church. You don't get ready by getting rid of sin out of your life. You don't get ready by making yourself the best you you can be. You don't get ready by following a set of rules and, and dressing a certain way and talking a certain way or living a certain way or, or not going to this place or only going. That's not how you get ready for eternity. You get ready by eternity by one way, and that's through receiving salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. The man who was ready to kill himself, he had the sword out ready to plunge it into his chest. He knew he was going to die. He was a prison jailer. And he thought, oh, I'm going to, they're going to kill me. The prisoners are getting out. He asked the question, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? Can I tell you that Paul did not say to him, do some good works. Go to church. You know, give, give some gifts. Uh, pray. Do, have a religious experience. No. He said, believe. Believe. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can believe on Him today. You can receive the free gift of eternal life. Be prepared for the future. They prepare for the future. As we think about preparing for the future, Christians, those of you here this morning say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I'm, I'm prepared to see God. I, I, I don't want to go on the next flight, but I'm ready to go. I know I'm going to heaven. Can I ask you, are you prepared for the future of ministry that God has for you? Well, well Pastor, I, I, I don't know. We ought to be. The Bible has an unusual verse in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah the prophet, Zechariah 10.1. The Bible says, Ask ye of the Lord, reign 
in the time of the latter rain. Now, I want you to, well, I'll read the rest of the verse and we'll go back. It says, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. The picture here is the farmer. The farmer who has a harvest and right before harvest there's rain and of course, before you can harvest, you have to wait till after the rain and after the crops dry a bit. The verse here is to pray and ask the Lord for rain in the latter rain or the last rain of the season. Now, how does that make any sense? If, if the crops are in the field, if this is the last rain I need to get my crops off the field, Lord, why would I ask you for rain now? That doesn't make any sense. Can I tell you, God is not just concerned about the harvest now. God's not just concerned about the harvest now. God wants us to be concerned with the future. He wants us to be looking to the future. I praise God for all of God's blessings, but let's not be guilty of saying, finally, Lord, we're seeing the blessings of the harvest and we're enjoying the harvest. Don't forget God has more He wants to do. Don't forget that it was God who brought the harvest. It wasn't you, it wasn't me, it was God. That's why He said to them, pray for rain and ask me for rain during the latter rain. Why? Number one, it causes us to acknowledge that it was not something we did. It's something God does. As it's raining, it's not something I created. God, you did that. And God, we need it again. I remember one day saying to Brother Joe Elwell, I said to him, I hate rain. How many of you are like me? You hate rain. If God made me live in Vancouver... I'd wake up every morning and say, God, can I go to heaven today? Lord, I don't want to be here. Just, just let me go to heaven. I, I hate rain. I don't like it. I told that to Brother Elwell once. He looked at me. He said, you know, rain is a picture of revival in the Bible. And I said, I hate you, Brother Elwell. <laughs> Pray for rain during the latter rain. We get so focused on what God is doing now. We get so focused on blessings now. We get so focused on ministry that we're involved in, of what we're enjoying, that we forget God wants to do more. God wants to do more. By the way, many of you have seen loved ones come to Christ. In the last few years. How wonderful that is. But there are some of you. Who have lost loved ones still. That need to see them know the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you have seen. Family members. Who are broken in sin. Restored. How wonderful that is. But let's not. Praise God and live just in that blessing and forget that there are others that we need to reach. Praise God for a, a wonderful crowd of folks here this morning. And I'm glad we can gather. And I remember the very first Sunday that we met as a church, July 10th, 2005. 
as I stood 10 blocks from here in the corner, little corner of the room at Spruce Avenue Community Hall, and we had the pulpit that we have up there, Brother Maude taught from this morning, I had in the front, and we had a few plastic folding chairs out. And gathered there that morning was my wife and Rebecca and Elizabeth. Hannah was there, but she was still uh, in the belly. Miss Lois was there, Brother Stewart. It's a lady and her two children. That was it. Miss Lois was there. Just a handful of people. If you'd have told me then that we'd have a huge crowd gathered every Sunday worshiping the Lord and serving Christ together, I, I might have doubted you, Brother Mott. But this isn't it. This isn't the end. This all, Pastor, the church building's full. We, God's blessed where we ought to be. No. God has more He wants to do. One million people. One million people. I had someone a few months ago I was talking with, Brother Will Esienko, good young fella. We're talking about church buildings and church size. And he said, Pastor, he said, do you think there's an optimal church size? And I like Will. He's a thinker. He said, is there an optimal size? Of, you know, you think a church should be about this size, and that's a good size. I said, Brother Will, let me tell you what I believe. I said, I said, I believe in a city like Edmonton. I said, the optimal church size is a million people. He looked at me and he said, fair enough. But I believe that God has more he wants us to do. We need to look to the future. We need to pray for rain during the latter rain. We need to not say, oh, yeah, Lord, one day you'll have to just meet the need because I don't know what we're going to need. No, we need to be looking forward. And preparing. Why? Because God has a plan for us. Number four, quickly. I close with this thought. Ants teach us a lesson about perseverance. Perseverance. Ants have an amazing ability to survive all kinds of weather. I mean, think about this. We have ants here, right? You've seen ants? How many have had ants in your house? By the way, if you ever have ants in your house, can I recommend tarot? We should get advertising from tarot. Great stuff. But hold on. That means ants survive. I, two times since I've been in Canada, have been in weather that was minus 50. Minus 50. Did you know that at minus 50, the integrity of metal starts to break down? Tim would probably back me up on that. He's studying some of the stuff of heat and cold. And, uh, but literally, parts start breaking. In the oil and gas industry, whenever you get to that point, they stop working on things because they know what's going to happen. You're going to fracture parts that weren't made to handle that kind of temperature. The, the structure and the steel changes. Minus 50 is ridiculous. And yet the ants survive. They survive. That's amazing. They survive. You know, you tear down a colony, a hill. Those of you that grew up in the country or maybe dealt with that, you know, you know what happens. They just build back. Jim, you've probably seen it. Knock them down, dig it out, come back a week later. There it is again. 
pour gasoline on them, light them on fire. Not that I'm, not that I'm advancing violence towards ants because they're people. But the next week they're there again. They just, they persevere. They persevere through danger. They persevere through disaster. They persevere through disturbances. And then you have the average Christian. We get offended. <laughs> Forget that. No, we, someone sat in our seat on Sunday morning. Someone, he didn't, he didn't talk to me. She didn't shake my hand. The, the children's church worker yelled at my child. My, my baby has a dirty diaper and I picked her up from the nursery. Now, I, I believe we ought to be careful in dealing with others. I believe we ought to love one another. I believe we ought to show forth love of Christ. But can I tell you, when you deal with other broken people, and we're all broken people, we're going to get offended. There's going to be some offense. We need to persevere. And oh man, the it's just too cold in the church building. I can't come to that church. The ants survive in 50 below. And no, we're not going to go 50 below in here. I, I, I hope that's not the case. But may we persevere. You know, this morning, one thought as we close, as we talk about the ants. The main thrust of Proverbs is that they prepare. I asked you earlier, but I want you to think about it before we pray. Are you prepared to meet God? Has there been a time in your life when you personally, I'm not talking about your family, I'm not talking about your mom or your dad or your background. Is there a time in your life when you personally understood the gospel? So, Pastor, what's the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You understood that the reason Jesus came, God left heaven and came, perfect, sinless, spotless God-man, and died for you and bore your sin and my sin and was buried and rose again was because we are sinners. And there is nothing we can do to make it better. There's nothing I can do to bridge the gap. There's no religious thing that I can do that God will say, okay, you made it. There's no hope of that. But when I come to the realization face to face with who I am before a holy God and I can see his love and I can receive his gift by grace through faith. If you've never done that this morning, would you trust him? Christian? You say, Pastor, I, I've trusted him. I remember when I did. I remember as a young boy when I bowed my knee beside my father's chair in a little travel trailer that was my home when I was a young boy living in Gillette, Wyoming. I remember calling the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember the day that I was born again. If you have that confidence here this morning, can I ask you, are you preparing for what God has for you for the future? Are you preparing for the future of ministry, of what God wants to do and use you to reach people, to love people? To minister to the needs of people. So, Pastor, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. 
we're a member of the community. Of a local church that should be busy working more than a little ant should be busy. We should all be involved as we strive together for the cause of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray this morning, God, you'd help us to take the teachings, these thoughts from these little creatures, these little people, as you call them in Proverbs. So simple. Lord, I believe so needful. Lord, I pray that we would consider the ways of the ants. May we ask the question of ourselves: how am I performing? For my family, for the Lord. Am I involved? Am I following God's plan? Am I a partner in the ministry of my local church? Am I even connected with the local church as I ought to be? Am I obeying you? Am I preparing for the future? Am I looking at what God has for us? Am I understanding that everything that we're receiving, Lord, is from you and that we ought to be praying and asking? Lord, I, I pray this morning that we as believers, as members of this local body, Lord, I pray that we would bow our knees and our hearts before you today and pray for rain during the latter rain. Lord, as we see blessing, Lord, I pray you do it again. God, would you meet the needs for that which you want yet to do? God, help us not to be like Israel and limit the Holy One of Israel, but God, may we realize that you can do anything. Lord, how excited it is to be along for the ride, to be a part of the greatest business in all the world, the business of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bless this morning? God, would you work during this invitation? God, would you be lifted up and glorified? In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Royce, would you lead us in a song of invitation? Let's all stand together and turn to number 294. Just as I am, hymn number 294.
quickly before we pray and close. Can I encourage you to be here this afternoon at 4? Going to talk to you about some proofs of God's love out of Ephesians 2. Uh, what an encouraging thing it is to look in this book and see the promise, not only of what God has done, but what he's doing now. And I encourage you to be with us for that. Choir, as soon as we pray, I'm going to ask you if you can hurriedly come to the platform and, uh, and we could go ahead and have our choir practice. And then as soon as we're done, we'll start our business meeting. And again, we'll ask uh, just uh, members uh, to stay for our business meeting. Appreciate that as we prepare business for the year to come. And uh, how wonderful it is that we can uh, serve and minister together here. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Jerees, would you lift up your voice and close this in prayer this morning? Thank you and praise you. Be seated, having praise.